An entrepreneur is an entrepreneur who works in a large organization that has all the advantages of a large organization. There's meeting rooms and finance and various things, but there are rules. And sometimes you have to obey the rules, otherwise you go to prison. Other ones, you, you find ways around them. And the magic phrase, which we didn't invent, is you never ask permission to do anything. You just ask for forgiveness afterwards. Yes, we're very naughty people. We didn't fill in nearly enough forms. And health and safety are really worried. We did just make a million pounds and we've forgiven. Hello and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast about business and entrepreneurship. At Umi, we make it easier for businesses to do more and go further by finding and packaging the best information, expertise and finance so you can make better business decisions more quickly. This conversation is with Mike Southern, also known as the Beermat Entrepreneur. Mike is, as the name suggests, a serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, keynote speaker, consultant and university lecturer. He actually started out building and selling his own IT training company in the 1980s and then worked with startups and SMEs, advising them on how to build stronger teams and get better at selling their products and services. In the early 2000s, he co-authored The BMAT Entrepreneur, which has sold 100,000 copies worldwide and been translated into 17 languages. Uh, Now he's a lecturer in entrepreneurship at Bayes Business School at the City University of London. Uh, and he spends his time there mentoring the next generation of founders to take their ventures to the next level. Here we talk to Mike about a whole range of things, his impressive career in business, his philosophy on sales and what it takes to be a good salesperson, and his advice more generally for anyone looking to become a better entrepreneur, build more relationships, win new customers and make the most of any opportunity that comes along. So I hope you enjoy this one with the BMAT entrepreneur, Mike Southern. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Uh, Really looking forward to hearing about your approach to all things business and entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. uh, which obviously you set set out in your book, The the BMAT Entrepreneur, which I'm sure will come on to. Um, But firstly, Mike, you know, could you just sort of tell me a little bit about your background and you know, what, what kind of inspired you to go into business all those years ago and, and start your own company? Because that's obviously kind of your, your, your that was where you all, where it all started for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was all kind of by accident, but, um, or maybe it wasn't. You only look at it in retrospect. I mean, I didn't uh, wake up one morning and decide I was going to be an entrepreneur. What happened was I did a degree in chemical engineering and then I went off to build oil refineries, which I enjoyed for a bit. Then they put me in a van selling scaffolding and I was miserable for because our scaffolding wasn't very good and I didn't know how to sell. And it was um, as a guy who I'd been to the Edinburgh Fringe with when I was at the University of Bradford, a guy called Mike Banahan. And I'd written the show and he'd done all the tech stuff. And we'd actually got up on our own bat and, you know, found a venue because the previous year had gone horribly wrong for the university. And we'd made money doing that and had a lot of fun. He just said, oh, no, you don't want to be selling scaffolding. You want to be uh, working for this company in London. He said they're above a sex shop. And it was actually a porn cinema, but you get the idea in Soho. And what this company did was sensibly computer recruitment, but they were also doing training in what Mike was good at, which is a thing called the Unix operating system or Linux or Linux is more popularly known then. This is before the internet is what the internet was built of. And it's very popular and, and every phone's got Unix or Linux in it and every internet server's got Unix in it. But back then there's only a hundred people in the world who knew about it. And one of them was Mike, the other one was another Bradford colleague, Andy Rutter. And they were university lecturers and they were being paid by this company to spend a week in London, get a thousand pounds, 
and teach Unix. So he said, get a job with them. So I literally arrived on the first morning, no computer experience at all, called up a few people. Eventually, when I said, we do Unix training, he said, oh, I'll have five. So I thought, this is really easy. So Mike joined me at that company. Then another guy joined. And he was more of a business person, a guy called Pete Griffiths. And he said, well, why are we working for these people? Let's start our own company. So we worked there about nine months and we had a month off. And then lo and behold, on January 1984, we started a company called The Instruction Set, where the idea was we're going to write Unix software. But for the moment, we'll just do Unix training. And mm. on the first morning, I sold 10 grand's worth of software uh, to an old customer. And it went from there. So we went from three in a basement to 150. Then we sold it to Cap Gemini. We never wrote the software in the end, really. Yeah. So that was 1989. I had a two-year earn out. Then I went off and played in a band for a while, which is a whole different podcast. Uh, but then in the 90s, I worked on various startups. Um, none of them really went horribly broke, but some of them were very miserable for a number of reasons, mainly because of the entrepreneurs involved. Um, and I learned a lot about that. And then I found myself lecturing at City University, as was then, or Cass Business School, just once a year on entrepreneurship, oh, sorry, on, on Unix and, and computing. And they kept, uh, but I kept telling stories about startups and somebody said, you should write a book about that. So I went back to my best friend from school, Chris West, who's a novelist and a philosopher, which is a good combination. And between us, uh, we wrote a book called The Beer Mat Entrepreneur, where it's kind of my content, but Chris did the writing, but also the mm. philosophical and logical model. That book came out in 2002 and it sold, I don't know, 100,000 copies around the world in 17 languages. So I was on the speaking circuit for a long time. And I've done various bits and pieces and helped start up, done a lot of mentoring, but I now find myself um, really doing what I want to do at my advanced age, which is I'm in a university. It was Cass Business School. It's now called Bayes Business School. They had to change the name, uh, which I can, I, I can talk about. But um, now I've got 580 second year students all from around the world. and I'm teaching them entrepreneurship and I've just come back from doing half a dozen tutorials. It's a lot of fun. And I'm kind of passing on what I know to the next generation. That's one way of putting it. But they are paying me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that's my life full circus. I've always been involved in entrepreneurship. Me and Chris built a very robust and straightforward model, which Chris brilliantly describes in the book. We've written a book on sales called Sales on a Beer Max. That's usually the problem people have. You know, they have a good product or service or so they think they just can't sell it. And that was all my, always my speciality. And mm. we wrote a book on entrepreneurship, which is how to be an entrepreneur in a large company. We can talk about that. So, um, yeah, so, so that's my life, really. So I'm some kind yeah. of entrepreneurship expert and... Uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's tons to pick out there, uh, Mike. Uh, so, but I think the first thing was going back to something you said quite early on, which was like, so you'd studied engineering at university, mm. um, and 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 then it seems just kind of pivoted into, into mm. PC and computers. And I wonder, you know, what kind of gave you the confidence to just move in that direction maybe there's a lot of transferable skills there between that kind of engineering mind and the, the kind of pc and computing mind but it was still uh it must have been a bit of a jump for you to to, well, it was, to, to but, move like that but what i realized actually i'm not about the technology whether it's engineering or computing i'm actually the sales person or the magnet as we call it in our book in the model my job is to go and ask people for money and see what happens in a controlled way so I relied on Mike and Andy to understand about Unix. I mean, for a while I worried, oh, I don't know anything about Unix. I better, you know, learn up about it. But in the end, I was selling training courses, which was how long are they, how much they cost, and, you know, all, all the benefits of a training course to a training manager. So I didn't have to have deep technical knowledge. I've built it up over the years. But yeah. that's very much what we say in the book, which is there's one type of person who's like me, likes asking for money and doing sales and not even marketing, they do sales. Then there's somebody who actually does the work and there's 
final, that's called a, a maker and in our book. Then finally, there's a monitor who's a finance person. Are we making money doing this? Could we scale it? So the transferable skills were just clearly Mike and Andy picked up that my job should be sales, maybe not scaffolding, but I'm the kind of person who's very outgoing. I like to talk to people. I did learn how to sell in the end. That's why we had managed to write a book on it, Sales on a Beer Mat. So I have turned yeah. that into a methodology as well. But no, yeah. my job is sales. Yeah. I've sold lots of things, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's a lot of fun. And it's because I got the same sales skills I had 20 years ago or 40 years ago, even. It's just sometimes the time is right for a product or service. And service is a lot easier to sell than products I've discovered. Yeah. No, so you've kind of always had that 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 interest in in sales, and in in mm. terms of the instruction uh, set, then. So exactly. was that was, were you on the sales side there as well? Yeah, and, and that was a kind of PC. Yeah, uh, so was that a software company? Was it or well, it was it was a trading company, and it wasn't really so much. P- I mean, Unix worked on a PC, but it also worked on very large computers. So it's people learning this new technology. It's called open systems more generally. The idea being that the same operating system could work on any computer, and. Um, yeah, but my job was always sales. They called it sales and marketing. But basically, I sit in front of people, understand what they want, and then say, well, if I was to help you, would you be interested? And then then I close the deal. That's what sales is. But also, sales has a bit of a bad reputation. Everybody thinks sales is somebody selling cars from a forecourt where they're telling as many lies as they can because you might disappear. Whereas, you know, in my world, it's all about relationships and sometimes turning away from a sale, sometimes working out where the client is wasting your time. They, they really don't want to buy. They just don't want to tell you. They keep saying, well, send me more stuff, send me more stuff. So because closing is the hardest part of sales. We've had a chat about whatever we're doing. I understand your needs. We've got a solution. Do you want to do it? Sign here. And yeah. it's very hard to do that generally. It's what, it's what they call the awkward bit. Don't they? <laughs> it is the awkward oh, bit. We can do this, we can do that. But then well, it's, it's it's, let's talk about the, yeah, talk about the product more. Let's talk about the service more. But no, a lot of salespeople I've noticed will do anything to avoid asking for the business, whereas I ask for the business. And it's, it's actually quite technical. What is you'd have a closing script. So let's say you want me to speak at a conference. I do a lot of that. And we decide, you know, I thought, well, you know, £5,000 is a good price for that. Eventually I'm going to say, well, good news. I can do it. Love to do it. It's only £5,000. Sign here. Yeah. And you wait. And they'll say yes, in which case stop talking and take the order and move on. If they say no, you find out why. And if you can solve the problem, you're back to yes. But if you can't, they say, sorry, the date's moved. And I you can't do that date. You lose the sale. It's people who say, let me think about it. Well, that's fair. You know, you think about it for a while and you've got to speak to your boss or whatever. Uh, so what, I'll give you a call Monday because I've had a chat with it by then. But eventually you just learn over the years that people just always say maybe, maybe without any particular reason. And you just put them on the back burner. All the yeah. great sales I've ever done happened in instance. People thought, you've got exactly what we want. And I thought, we're perfect for you. Sign here and we'll work out the details later. Anything which takes too long. So a lot of the sales management process is about having a lot of prospects. So if one goes away, it doesn't matter if we've got a couple more. And then making sure that you know people are being moved along. It's a 10-point thing we have in sales at a beer, mate. You start with just you've got their name on a bit of paper. Then you go through various stages. The key thing is, are they qualified? And qualified means... They've told you they have a need. They need something. So if they have no needs, there's nothing to talk about. And then they have money. You've got a budget because they don't want it for free. Then they want it now, today. Needs and money today. Now, they may be lying. You don't know. Or they may be making it up. But if they say that, they're at about 0.4 in our level. That's stage four. There's another six stage, but they're all really easy. Because after mm. that, it's a sanity check. Do you really have needs and money today? If you don't, back burner. So yeah. a lot of sales are very process-oriented. But a lot of it is just being liked. So people say, what's the main characteristic you need to be good at sales? The answer is people like you. Because if they like you, they'll talk to you. 
you know, they don't yeah. fall in love with you all the time, but it's more, they like you as a person. You seem nice, honest, friendly, helpful, good listener, but also um, they like the sound of your company and their products and services. Yeah. So, and because if they don't like you, you'll just be fobbed off. It's like, yeah, okay, leave me a brochure or send me a PDF. It's, yeah. it's being liked and work out whether they like you or not. If they don't like you, move on. You know, not yeah. everybody likes yeah. me. It's a tragedy, but, you know, some <laughs> people like, like the quiet approach, you know, rather than me. Because I'm yeah. quite, you know, pushy in a sort of jokey way. I'm like, come on, are we going to do this or not? You know, bars are open. Yeah. You know, I need a drink. Let's, let's, go and, let's go and celebrate either winning the sale or losing the sale. Come on, make your mind up. It's getting people to make their mind up and not um, selling something they don't need. But that's kind of obvious. Yeah. No, I, I think it's probably something, Mike, that, you know, when you've been advising all of these startups, as you obviously did yeah. after you um, sold the instruction set, you know, I imagine the startup founders that you were speaking to, you know, really, you know, really passionate about the product or the service mm -hmm. and, and and really have that kind of blue sky thinking and mm -hmm. want to change the world in, in, in yeah, whatever yeah. way they can. But then it comes down to that kind of, right, well, how are we going to make money kind of thing? And, and, and do you think that's where your approach really kind of came into its own? Absolutely. It's, um, you know, they're very enthusiastic. And what, what that tends to mean is they do what's called a feature sell, which they rattle off. You know, can do A, B, C, D, E, and oh, and next week we'll do F, D. Too many, too many features. And that can often put people off. It's more, you see, sales about listening. Everybody says this. Every sales course you go on, including mine, says you've got one mouth, two ears, do the math. So it's about, so tell us about your company. What are your problems? You always reinforce it. Oh, we have a big problem with such and such. Oh, well, that's so true, isn't it? Not you're a bit of an idiot if you can't fix that problem. Um, you listen to them and you say, well, so if I could solve that problem for you, you'd be really grateful. And then you you do the mime, you know, which is, and you might give me some money. You'd be grateful and happy and generous if you if I solve that problem. Then they're a bit skeptical. Really, you can solve my problem. Then you've got to come up, come up with proof. Because we talk about elevator pitches a lot in all our books. There's a pain or problem. I need this. I want to do that. Or wouldn't it be great if I could do that? Then you've got a premise, which is we solve that problem. Then it's proof. And the best proof yeah. is, of course, a happy customer. And the first customer is always the hardest. But then you've got a reference sell. So if I've sold something um, to you, for example, I, I say, well, look, I've got this great product or service. It's really good. Oh, look, too much selling already. Have a chat with Richard. He'll tell you. And you'll say something like, well, when Mike came in, I was a bit skeptical. But I'll tell you why. It's all right, you know. And yeah. so your customer yeah. selling for you, a reference sell is the most powerful selling. Then yeah, because they become the advocates, don't they? They, they kind yeah, of become, they become advocates for your, for your business, right? Yeah. And, and, and some people are great. They t tell all their friends, you've got to go to Mike for whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, they're the best ones. Yeah, they're the best advocates, right? Of course, yeah. yeah. And, you know, in, in terms of when you were advising those those startups, mm. you know, some of them did really, really well. Some of them obviously didn't do so well, which is, mm. you know, just mm. the reality of, of, of being in an early stage business. And, like, if you had to dial it down, Mike, what do you think kind of separated the businesses that were successful from the ones that weren't? Well, everything has its time. And a lot of people that are very technical work to the, um, there's a famous film called Field of Dreams, which had Kevin Cosner, if we build it, they will come. If I put even more features on it, speak 19 languages, people just buy it for some reason. And that may not be the case. And my job is to find out if they, well, let's not talk about the 19 features. It's more the the first three. If you, if you don't get it in about three features, then we're never going to do it. Some things don't have that time. And then, then it's about the the overconfidence of the entrepreneur saying, no, I'm right about this. See, a good team can pivot at any moment. If they don't want A, well, why don't we try B or try as a service or a product, whatever. And it's it's always people issues where companies go wrong. 
Um, mm. It's never that, you know, if the market goes away, if you've got a good team, you can pivot pretty quickly. I mean, everybody is pivoting now. We're coming out of COVID because things are different. Now, I see this as the biggest opportunity I've ever seen because everybody's desperate for people. Everybody's growing. They're coming out of it. It's different. People work in a different way. The big thing being, of course, you can actually speak to people at home mostly now. And that's actually quite good in sales. There's somebody at home, you do a Zoom call, I do a lot of that. And that works yeah. quite well for half an hour. You can talk about something. Nothing beats face-to-face. But also people are behaving differently. Every company is saying in the new normal, whatever that is, um, will behave in a different way or have different services. Um, but, you know, the skill shortage is, is just extraordinary. You know, there's so many jobs. If you could drive a truck, you'd be earning £100,000 a year immediately. There's so many opportunities. And it's for the entrepreneur to find something and then be convincing mm. and trusted they can deliver it. But if, you can, if you've done one company, you can do any company pretty well. Um, yeah, you've just yeah. not got to, you know, hold on to the old ideas. And there's yeah. a bit, I see yeah. an opportunity every day. You know, there's empty shops. Well, could they be vaccine centers? I don't know. I'm, I'm making stuff up now. But there's there's opportunities that anybody could do. The whole supply chain thing. We've got the yeah. technology. It's called blockchain. But we just don't have any trucks and drivers and stuff. But somebody will solve it and make a lot of money. Yeah, I think I think that's probably probably one of the most important things, isn't it, Mike? So a founder goes into a... Mm-hmm. Um, business or or starts a business with like a very clear view about what that business is going to be, who's going to buy it. But then Mm -hmm. circumstances change. Maybe there's like a pandemic or something happens and and like having that flexibility or like you say, being prepared to accept if it's not quite the right time for this product that you've always dreamt about, about creating. It's about, you know, being able to see the writing on the wall and, and, and change course if you have to. Absolutely. And, and it's always the salesperson that finds out first because you you have a product service. You send me out. I'm talking to people. And either they're biting my arm off for it and the phone is ringing. We have no idea why, in which case we're onto something. Just maximize it. Or everybody's saying no. And if they're saying no, I say, well, and why? Well, I want something different or that's not quite right now. So I just think, well, if we did something differently, you might be interested because you've, li- you've liked and trusted us before. You bought our products and services. So you're confident we can deliver. So if you say, well, we do it a different way, you're thinking, okay, I'm listening. Well, let's try. Let's let's give it a go. Because I like yeah. you and trust you and I like your company. The team you need in a company is not that great. There's somebody with a vision, typically. They're usually a good evangelist or, you know, they're really keen to solve that problem out there. You've got a technical person who's the quiet one who actually, you know, builds the software or whatever. And then you've got the finance person who can be um, hired in if necessary. But the key things are sales and delivery. Mm. And in yeah. that is everything, marketing, customer service, the whole stuff is, is in that kind of package. So there's yeah, somebody who likes yeah. Mike. So if Mike says, I think you should try this, he's you trust him. Well, let's give it a go. And we like you and trust him. If it goes wrong, we'll we'll sort it out. It's very basic stuff. And that you have to do face to face. It's difficult to do over Zoom or Teams. Yeah. So the, the salespeople kind of feel mm. you know, demand changes first, don't they? They're right. kind of like the, the the front line and I guess the best reference point for if what you're doing's the Absolutely. right thing. Okay. Okay. And in terms uh, of yeah, go on. In in terms of the the BMAT entrepreneur, because I think we're touching on themes here that the book kind mm. of wraps up. So, mm. you know, what what motivated you? I mean, obviously, I think the think timing wise, you you obviously um, you'd exited the instruction set, you'd been advising startups and things like that. And was it just a case, Mike, of you know you wanted to commit your thoughts and ideas and you, the practice as well that you'd obviously been you know you've been working with these different companies? You wanted to kind of commit that to a sort of single document where it was a kind of a reference point for everything that you were thinking about. 
Yeah, it was it was very much a question of, you know, I have an idea for a book all the time. I, I was always going to Chris with it, and he was saying, I don't think so. But then when I came up with this idea of a, a, a book about entrepreneurship based around my experience, and also the timing was right, because we we half knew it, we half didn't know, which we were just having the dot-com boom back in the early 2000s, where the idea was, you start a company, you raise 20 billion, then you float it, then you get some revenue. And we thought, this is rubbish. You know, the good old way is the best. And so our timing was perfect. We kind of burst that bubble at the time if we did anything. <coughs> I mean, The Beer Mad Entrepreneur is really a business-to-business book rather than a business-to-consumer book. It's not a, how to sell a million um, bottles of water on the internet. It's more, uh, it's human beings speaking to other human beings. I mean, the big, big thing we discovered or pointed out or realised was that if you've got a good idea and people are buying it, a service is much easier. You can sell it up front, like I did with the training course on the first day that we hadn't even written yet. Uh, you can sell a service, you get a deposit or something, you can ramp the company up with revenue. And if you're good at a service, you know, you people, more people come to you, you get word of mouth, you grow people, then you can grow your company up to about 25 people pretty easily if you're popular. But then you've really got to take a deep breath, which is, going past 25 to even 35 or 40 is a big step because it suddenly goes from a small company to a big company and that sounds silly if you've only ever worked in a big company but you know at 25 you know everybody everybody's friends you're all down the pub on a friday whatever it is you've got good communication suddenly it breaks down by about 15 it becomes a different beast so i always say to entrepreneurs it's the best piece of advice i give to somebody who's got their own company is if you get to 25 great then take a deep breath and make a big decision one way or the other other we're going to stay at 25 never grow any bigger Put the prices up. Everybody loves us. We have a niche business. We have a boutique. Then one day we just turn off the lights and go home and we've made lots of money. Or, no, 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 I want to get past 25 to 35 to 50 to 150. I say, okay, yeah, that's another good way of doing it. A lot of people have done that. You want to be the next Bill Gates or something. Uh, just hire grown-ups. Just hire people that have worked in big companies, know how to manage people, um, know how to have put processes in place, and, you know, get over the fact that you've had to give away some equity probably but you wanted to grow the business. And also you step back, you have the next idea, you know, don't keep meddling, get proper grown-ups for whom they think this is the best opportunity I've ever seen. There's, there's a company about 30, it works, whatever they do, they could scale it. They just need a few sensible processes and better finance and better customer support and all those kind of things, which I've done a hundred times for a big company once mm. you prove the model. So that's the kind of emotional thing. And then if somebody comes in waving a lot of money, just take the money. As you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'll wait another two years and get more money. No, no, no. Take the money, take the money. and build another thing, you know. Yeah. Because I say yeah. to my students, you know, you could hopefully you can start a business while you're still at university, you know. Like I've just run a bunch of tutorials and I've gathered them in terms of what interests they have. So I had one group that was into Bitcoin, another one was into baking, another one was into horse riding. As well, start a little thing for students where you make a few bob and pay off your student loan, and that looks good on your CV anyway. Then later, you might do what we did the instruction set, a friend from university, your opposite, your foil. Um, mm. You start a business like the instruction set, build it, sell it. You know, that's a happy day when you look at the cash point and there's a few million in there. And it was minus 50 the day before. And then um, start a big company. You can be Elon Musk or something if you want, or Bill Gates. And then, of course, you'd be a billionaire and you can save the world, which is what they all yeah. want to do. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit late for me. I can't do that. But no, they all want to stop world hunger and poverty and good for them, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a nice point, uh, which hopefully everybody goes through. I mean, I went through when we sold the company, which is I suddenly realised that I didn't really mind about money anymore. I didn't have a mortgage anymore. I mean, not rich as most people, or some of these big people, but you know, I don't have a mortgage. I can do what I want. I don't have to work, but I'm working harder now than I ever have just because I love what I do. 
and I feel I'm doing some good. I'm not going to do another startup for myself. You know, I've done enough of those. Yeah. Or I hope they do a startup and they visit me in my retirement home in a few years and tell me they've made a lot of money and they're saving the world and stopping malaria like Bill Gates is or whatever. And that's just, that's just fun. And the mentoring thing is very interesting because when you're young, you get mentored. You ask an older person, should I do that, mummy or daddy or whatever? And when you're older, you pass the information back down, 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 down the, the chain. Down the chain. So I spend most of my time mentoring, to be quite honest, just yeah. giving advice, guidance. And sometimes it's a subject matter-based thing, like that's exactly how you do that or how you do sales. That's quite interesting. Or it's more, that's who you should speak to. Like being an extrovert kind of person, I've built up a huge network over the years. And I, I know somebody who knows somebody. And if I like the person, I can introduce them and you know, maybe that can work. Nobody likes to pass on some good information. Well, I'm trying to get as many internships with students that I can in companies that I know. Just here's a good student. They work hard. They're great. They're all from around the world. They've all got a story to tell. Yeah, take yeah. them on. It's intern. So. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it's it's about um, how people feel as well, Mike, isn't it? You know, yeah. I think you talk about that 25 people barrier and, you know, like after that is when you start need to be bringing in kind of like an executive level to get like mm. different people in processes yeah. and, you know, external finance and things like that. And, and, and probably what it is, is it's just recognizing that that's the kind of level at which um, there's kind of two, there's like a fork in the road almost where mm. one way is just continue with the lifestyle that you've got at the moment, yeah, yeah. With the business where it is at the moment. And the, and the other way is, to have that kind of like Bill Gates kind of mindset of grow, grow, grow. So you mentioned the word foil as well, which is one of the sort of um, elements of, of, of one of the people, I guess, of, of the team that you need to be implementing if you're going to have this kind of high growth um, expanding company. So that's in the, that's in the book, right? So mm. what are the, what are these other, um, what are the other team members that you, that you need if you are going to take that right fork in the road and, 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 and go to be the next Microsoft or something like that. Well, that's exactly our BMAP model, which is people always ask me, what do you think of my idea? And I say, brilliant. Someone's going to make a fortune. Let's see if it's you. And you stand a much better chance if you've got your foil. So I know what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. And for the book, Chris is good at all the stuff that I'm bad at and vice versa. So you get your foil. Then you have what we call cornerstones. And these are people who, if they are fundamental to the business, in our view, we feel very strongly about this, they should have equity. I mean, everybody should have stock options. If, it, if you do sell it for a lot of money, everybody does well. But um, you put give equity to cornerstones, and then there's probably a, a technical cornerstone, personal responsible for delivery, or there could be an innovation cornerstone. I mean, a finance cornerstone is another cornerstone. We had a model in our company back in the 80s of five people with 20%, which is very rare. We don't really advocate that now because very few people follow that. It's like, why should I give 80% to a bunch of people? Well, you don't quite get what we're saying, but it's, if you have a bunch of different people covering the different areas and they're responsible for it, mm. and I make it simple for the students saying in any company, somebody has to be responsible for revenue. That's all they do. That's my job typically in the company. Then there's delivery. Then there's finance. Those are the three easy ones. Then you can have specialist things for different things. But the point about, you know, you grow past 25, it's a different company. You've got grown-ups there. A lot of people aren't comfortable in that situation. You have to fill in a form to get a pen out of the, I make a joke, you know, you know, when you've turned into a large company because there's a lock on the stationary cupboard because somebody sends <laughs> glasses and said, we can't just give pens away. We need to have a system where we know what they're spending. I mean, you could have a free pen. You just fill in a form and oh, I can't stand it anymore. It's, it's a joke, but so many people have laughed at that. Yeah, um, yeah. 
And so the, the, the early stage people who say, look, you're not going to like it when we're 50 people because you won't know everybody. They won't be your friends. So let's spin you off to a little group of 25, 30 little skunk works or something. So you know everybody. It's all a bit crazy and, you know, it's fun. See, what I'm trying to do with the students is say that, you know, some of you dream of working in a bank and I can help you to do that. And you get a salary. Maybe you start your own bank one day. But for, um, you know, most people, it's, um, you know, I want to try a startup one day. And it's quite hard when you're 25, you don't have the network. But that's why I'm trying to get so many of my students into small companies as an intern so they can see the crazy world that I've lived in for 40 years. You may decide yeah. after that, never again, you know, so too yeah. crazy. I'm not <laughs> yeah, put them off. Exactly. But it's fun and it's a roller coaster. But generally, young, young people, I'm being very patronizing now. I mean, they all want to start businesses. They've got that entrepreneurship urge and they'd do it tomorrow if they could. And I say, well, look, maybe the, op the best option is, I mean, a lot of them have family businesses, which is very interesting. So work in the family business or for a bank or whatever it is, hedge funds for a while. But you can always have your little side hustle. You're doing your mm. horse riding lessons for fun because you get it for free and, you know, you're doing something different, but making money at it. There's a yeah. delightful yeah. Uh, student I've got on the course now and she does gardening. She loves gardening, but she won't charge for it. And I'm saying, look, yeah, if you're doing somebody's garden, just pay me what you like, just pay for it. And then she made a very good point, actually, which was if I was being paid for it, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. You know, it'd be a bit mm. serious. You know, I like doing it purely for, for nothing. And that's a good point. I mean, it's all about having fun and making money and doing some good in the world. And that's yeah. I'm getting quite philosophical here. If you can so combine the three, though, it's very, uh, well, you know, that's, you the, do, that's but the, but the magic you startup, You can, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you can combine yeah. the three, you've won. And yeah. It's been attributed to pretty well everybody, but it's a phrase, you know, the sentence, if you love what you do, you'll never do a day's work in your life. It's just you go to work and it's brilliant. Yeah. And it's fun and you have your ups and downs. But if you're with good people, people you like, then you get over the hard times. I think I think it's about kind of ambition as, as, as well, isn't mm. it, Mike? Because, you know, I think young people today are, you know, very entrepreneurial and ambitious. Mm. But I think when you talk about going from that, 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 that barrier of, of a sort of 25 employees and beyond, it's 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 about ambition, and then you know is is it also about like kind of resilience and 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 that risk appetite for risk as well because I, th I think typically uh, the the skin in the game probably increases a little bit Absolutely. as you as you take on that that um, you know that growth path and and you want to do things. What are, what are some of those those qualities then, Mike? If someone came to you and said, "Look, I do want to go global. I want uh, I want to be yeah, a, yeah. a FTSE one hundred company one day." What what qualities are you kind of looking for in them? Uh, well, it's the ability to build a team. Just understand what you're good at and what you're bad at. But something Chris put in the book, which I thought was very clever, was very on well, in the book. We talk about what are the qualities you need to be a successful entrepreneur. You've got to be. You've got to be confident, you know, and you've got to be charismatic and you've got to be hardworking and attention to detail, all those things. Then Chris pointed out they all have the negative side as well. The, the borderline between confidence and arrogance is very narrow and charismatic and manipulative and hardworking and overworking. I, I realised about 10 years later, he was talking about me, all the negative <laughs> stuff. But it's, um, you understand there's a yin and a yang to everything. And, you know, sometimes it is hard starting a business and being ambitious. But it's worth a shot because you'll find you'll get more satisfaction out of it. It's just you were, use the word resilience. That's a big thing that entrepreneurs have to have, the ability to bounce back and, you know, something goes wrong. But when things have gone wrong in companies, it's usually, to be honest, people falling out with each other. And they get angry with people because they're not performing. What are the underlying reasons? You know, it's a rocky road. But the company we did in the 80s, 
you know, we had, gosh, five years, something like that. And it was the best time. It was like a roller coaster. We, we never had any times we were going to go broke, but it was more, you know, the latest challenge to go. And then suddenly we sold all the companies completely different. We're part of the largest service organization in Europe. And that was a bit of a culture shock. But um, no, it was just fun. And everything I look back on, even the, the times when I worked for entrepreneurs, I didn't like very much in the end. Um, it's something you learn. And then if you're lucky enough, you end up teaching in a university and part telling those stories to other people, the good stuff and the bad stuff. Yeah. And this is just life, really. Yeah. You mentioned an, an entrepreneur before mm. as well, which I think is probably a, a word that, that a lot of people maybe haven't heard of before. So like, what, yeah. what is, what is that? Why is it important to have one in, in a business? Well, when you get to a certain stage, you have a lot of processes, and these processes can stifle innovation. So after we'd done the beer match entrepreneur, we thought um, we should write a book. It was called The Boardroom Entrepreneur then. We're going to rebrand it as The Beer Match Entrepreneur. Well, an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur who works in a large organization that has all the advantages of a large organization. There's meeting rooms and finance and various things. But there are rules, and sometimes you have to obey the rules, otherwise you go to prison. Other ones, you, you find ways around them. And the magic phrase, which we didn't invent, is you never ask permission to do anything. You just ask for forgiveness afterwards. Yes, we're very naughty people. We didn't fill in nearly enough forms. And health and safety are really worried. We did just make a million pounds and we forgiven. And you have a good boss who's looking after you. Because we talk about mentors in the entrepreneurship model. People give you good advice. It's more like a, a sponsor in a large organization saying, look, if you've got a crazy idea, come to me first. And I'll veto the ones that will get you and me fired. But... All the large companies, they want that spark, that spirit, that let's try something new, let's try something different. And there's lots of resistance within the company. And my top advice usually is if you've got a little unit doing something different, get them off site. Because if they're on site, people find out what you're up to and stop you doing it. And you do a lot of, well, what are they doing? They're doing something different. Oh, it's a training exercise. Right. Bought you another couple of weeks. So entrepreneurship is, well, when I get asked to speak at conferences, I mean, I do a lot of speaking to small businesses, of course, but Mostly, if it's a big conference, it's it's about entrepreneurship. Where's the magic in a large organization? Because it's always there. It's got to start at the top. It's all the people in the middle, the middle management, who there's various reasons they might want to stifle innovation because it's they're jealous or they they think it's a bad idea or they think it's wrong for the company's brand. But all CEOs that I speak to, it's like, yeah, let's be a bit crazy. And if we fail, well, we at least we tried. And you know, it's 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 a fun thing, but I teach that specifically on the course because I know that a lot of them are going to work for large family businesses that have been doing things the same way. But the whole point of sending their young son or daughter to our university is so that they learn new, well, a lot of sensible stuff like finance and human resources and marketing and all the grown-up stuff. But it's the how to be a bit crazy sometimes without getting into too much trouble and without bankrupting the company, obviously. Uh, but entrepreneurship is a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I think that it is it is one of the challenges that larger companies face where, you know, they do have um, processes in place for, you know, very, very important uh, legal reasons and, and, and other reasons. But there, the point at which it, it kind of does stifle um, that that kind of entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial um, element within the business, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going going past the point at which it's, it's the benefit. So I think... Another thing as well, Mike, is obviously we have all these processes in place in large organizations mm -hmm. and then something like a pandemic comes along mm -hmm. and it yeah, all yeah. kind of goes out the window. So I guess, you know, maybe for larger companies, it's kind of about remembering that these processes mm -hmm. are, um, you know, they are processes that that company has created rather than being kind of, um, you know, dictated from above kind of thing, you know, they can be changed. 
and rules. There's always a company handbook, and there's obviously regulatory stuff, which is, you know, this is the law. Sorry, it's not, it may even be the actual law. But a lot of these things which stifle innovation are um, rules that aren't written down anyway. It's not, that's not what we do here. That's not what the company's supposed to do. I and mean, the first real entrepreneurship thing that we we saw and we worked on was at Rolls-Royce, the aero engine people who make aero engines, because this was John Rose who was here at the time. And they've been approached by Singapore Airlines who said, look, I have to buy all the engines from you, from Pratt & Whitney, from General Electric. But it would be great if I had one company to service all three of them. Because a lot of people are Rolls-Royce, you know, we don't want to touch those terrible Pratt & Whitney engines. And that's not, we're an engineering company, we don't want to do it. But what Sir John realised was that, you know, it's, it's money, you know, he'll pay good money for this. Plus, he gets to see all the early versions of the other. Of course, eventually they all did it. So it's, it's having the CEOs willing to say, we're going to try something. But your, your point about the pandemic is absolutely well made. I mean, I had a guest in Rupert Lee Brown from Caxton, or a currency card company, really interesting company, really fun guy. And he's, you know, the king of risk management. He has risk management for every conceivable cyber attack, whatever it is. He said, pandemic, we couldn't have predicted that. But now they're coming out of it. They literally just announced in the last few days they're, they're raising money because they're going to really go for it. They're crowdfunding it. They're going to ask their own customers, do you like us? Good. Would you like to lend us some money? We'll get a good return on it, which they did previously. And that's a great way of doing it. So there's opportunities out there. As long as you don't say, no, no, we're going to go back to where we were in 2019, whenever the pandemic really started, 2020. We're going to go back to that. It'll be back to that. No, it won't. Whatever it is you're doing, it's different. And there's so many companies, again, talk about, you know, there's all these supply chain problems at the moment. That's what I'd be saying. There's you know, ships stuck in the Suez Canal or whatever it is, or, you know, but all these companies were telling me before the pandemic, we know more about supply chain than anything. We have blockchain, we have this. Okay, right. Okay, fix this then. And we will fix it. Clever people would fix it in a different way. And also the way people work is so different now. Because mm. there is a strong argument. There are certain jobs you can do from home and have a better quality of life. You see your kids more. You don't have to spend an hour getting into London, an hour getting out and da da da, da for one meeting. And uh, Whereas some people are very nervous about going back to work. It's um, going to be so. It's, it's the new new. So, yeah. I think, a lot, I think a lot of things have happens. changed. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, in terms of sales, Mike, you know, how, how have how how have sales changed, and then perhaps what what's the same? You know, like I think I think a lot of the the, the qualities that you've that you've mentioned sort of earlier on are the same. You know, it's just the kind of delivery and the technology and things like that mm-hmm. that have moved on. But yeah, well, like how do you look back on? You know, you've been in sales for a very long time, obviously. Well, one thing that absolutely hasn't changed is people buy from people. And the skill in sales is when you're speaking to somebody in the first two minutes, you work out whether they like you or not. And if they don't particularly like you, don't take it personally. You find somebody that appeals to them more. Like when Chris West and I speak, half the company loves me because I'm all jazz hands and jokes and stuff. The other rather prefer Chris. He's a bit more sensible. And you can see him talk to us and different people talk to different people. So... In a sales process, being liked is the main thing, and face-to-face is by far the best. And, you know, you say you do a lot of work at the business in the pub, and that's nearly true. But then the advantage in the lockdown is, if I want to have a really focused meeting with somebody in Bermuda, which I've been working in the insurance industry, I can get half an hour with them at home, really focused, and then you're getting towards the end. It's, well, let's get to the action points, and what are we going to do in next steps? It's really very focused and better than it used to be, because you can be in endless meetings, having endless chats about stuff. Things can be a bit focused. So... Certainly moving forward when I'm involved in sales or teaching sales, I'll be doing more on Zoom than I would have thought of doing. I mean, there was a time I was on a plane every day, but you you think you're busy or not. You're going to the airport, sitting in a lounge, getting on a plane, spending many, many hours to spend half an hour with somebody, then coming home and thinking you're doing a good day's work. So it is different. It is. Uh, yeah. But 
there's opportunities. You just got to have that drive. We call it gumption in the book. That that indefinable quality about yeah, let's do it. And oh, that went wrong. Never mind. We'll work it out. That that's really the spirit of entrepreneurship for an opportunity. And you've got an underlying honesty. So you're not ripping people off or selling stuff you shouldn't be selling. Or if you make a mistake, you fix it without grumbling. Then you'll win. It's, and that's a basic morality. Because you hear about these entrepreneurs and all the terrible things they do and whatever. Um, but the good ones are the quiet ones. And they're the guys or the people, the men and women, I get into the, speak to the students, who you can tell are nice people and don't suffer because of that. There's this myth that you're going to be a total bastard in business and screw people over. Um, but it's not true. You know, it's, you know, I talk about famous entrepreneurs and some, if they passed away, there'd be parties to celebrate. You don't want to end up like that. Whereas you want to live respected and die regretted is a phrase I've, I've borrowed yeah. somewhere else. The, yeah. you know, it should be yeah. like that. And you should be having fun and being nice to people. And, and a lot of that is under yourself, your own strengths and weaknesses. So I know, for example, I'm too extrovert most of the time. So I need to tone it down a bit. Whereas Chris could come out of his shell a bit more. It's, it's that kind of really basic stuff. Yeah. I, I think, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about was kind of winning, winning new customers. And mm. do you think particularly post pandemic, it's kind of coming at it from that approach mm. of, of building relationships and, you know, being exactly. demonstrating value rather than just, you know, picking up the phone and, and saying, right, well, do you want to buy this? <laughs> well, I say never pick up the phone is dead. I mean, I've got a magic email, which is if you want to contact hundred people and say, look, you've got this problem. We think we can solve it. You can have an email, full line email, and you can get a meeting or whatever. But I'm sure we're going to get back to the days where, and this is the case that I give to the students, which is imagine we're at a conference and there's a room full of people who've been in the industry 20 years and all talking to each other. And you're new and you've got to literally walk up to a stranger, start a conversation, and then see in about two or three minutes whether it's worth following. Without being too pushy, you have to play the numbers game. You speak to 30 people, you'll stand 30 times more chance of finding a prospect than whatever. So I teach them how to, I mean, there's a great phrase which I've borrowed from my friend Will Kintish, which is, and he's the king of network. He's brilliant. You should do a podcast with him. If there's a bunch of people talking, you want to walk up to them, you just ask them a simple question, you know, may I join you? Because most times I say, yeah, who are you? If they're saying, excuse me, we're having a private conversation, um, you know, there's some weird cult, you don't want to sell them anyway. So you open up the question, then you just start some really simple questions. Where are you from? What do you do? What are your problems at the moment? And you're trying to work out whether they like you in the broadest sense. So there is a, you know, you can eat bread. You've got to speak to a lot of, based on a technique I worked out for a speed dating company once where you've got, you know, 30 people in and you've got three minutes with each one and you want to get a tick in the box so they get introduced to them. It's asking simple questions in a simple way, listening to your instincts and building a relationship. Because at the end of the day, it's all about trust. And you build up trust if you provide proof, you make a promise, you keep a promise. Even if it's, you know, I'll send you that PDF. You're following up, you're being systematic and you're not making promises you can't keep. And you, but you come across as yourself. So mm. I'm quite an outgoing type of salesperson. I play up to the stereotype. Yeah, hey, you know, it's going to be great. Whereas other people are much more relaxed and much more, ironically, more trusted than someone like me who talks too much. So be find your own, your own thing. There. There's times where you've got to take a deep breath and be proactive. There's times where you just sit and listen to people and you pick up stuff and build up trust with them, you know, step by step. Yeah. And then what about sort of increasing sales from existing customers is then oh, as well, Mike, uh, because obviously that's a lot easier, isn't it? A lot of the time oh, than, than generating new customers. Well, exactly. You see, generating new customers is what I call hunting. That's hard. That's what I have to do. I get somebody and I do the first sale. Then I'm, I'm getting a bit bored of them, to be honest. Farming, which is, would you like another one? is very easy. Would you like fries with that if you're in McDonald's? So any person, even if the shyest technical person in the world or a lawyer or an engineer, they can always say, you know, need anything else? Or 
whatever, because by then they trust you and anybody can do that. And that, that's frankly when you should take Mike out because he's off making new friends and put in your existing people, maybe a little bit more technical, can talk a bit more about the detail and, and they are much more trusting because it's about trust. You know, sometimes people look at Mike, me and think he's talking too much or his lips are moving, he might be lying. So but that's kind of fun at the beginning. But no, farming is easy and yeah, hunting yeah. and farming, that's really how it works. And the statistics show that in any company, 15% of the business is hunting. You've got to have new customers, otherwise you just decline. So, But 85% is going back to your existing customers saying, would you like an ice cream as well? Yeah. That kind of stuff. And what else might you like? And what other problems you got? Or is there another division we don't know that I can speak to them because you're an existing customer? No, farming's a, a different skill, uh, yeah. but anybody yeah. can do it. That's the, that's the fun part of sales for most people. Yeah, I think having those skills in the in the team, Mike, where you know you can pass pass that off to someone else to look after, and I think you know something something that's probably really important for you know if you're starting up a new business is not to try and do everything yourself, and and, and to be able to delegate responsibility and to play to your strengths and and to let other people play to their strengths as, as well. Do you think that's quite important? And absolutely. I mean, delegation generally is a good thing. You know, there's always somebody who can do the job better than you. But in sales in particular, if you've got a big sale or a big customer, you should always double team it. So there's a hunter who's always saying, come on, let's do something new. And who else should I speak to and whatever? And there's a farmer who's much more sensible. So you double team it. And there's there's times when the, the hunter salesman goes away. But there's also time they come back in, buy another round of drinks and say, come on, what else are we doing? Uh, you time that quite carefully if, you, if you're sensible. Because yeah. uh, otherwise, if farmers can get into technical detail and things are stalling, if things are stalling, send the hunter back in, see if they can, you know, yeah. beef it up yeah. a bit quick. I like that. I like that analogy, sort of hunters and farmers. I think it's a good way to a good way to think yeah. about it. So, uh, be- before I let you go, Mike, um, mm-hmm. the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you was, you know, what do companies get wrong? You know, you know, when it comes to sales, particularly, you know, and and you know, minded about what those things are that companies get wrong. How can they avoid doing that and, and, and avoid those pitfalls? What are, yeah, what are some of the, the main things that you think about when it comes to things to avoid doing if, you, if you're trying to get more sales? Well, um, in the very early stages, avoid talking too much. This has always been my problem. You know, I'm just so enthusiastic and, and they get bored and they move away. So, you know, tone it down, do more listening and, and repeat back to people. So, so let me see if I understand your needs. What you just said to me was you're worried about A, B, C, D, and E. So they think, oh, Mike was listening. That's a good thing. And, and double check. Um, and then always be yourself. Don't try and be somebody else. Don't try and be a hunter if you're a farmer or whatever, or an extrovert if you're an introvert. Just, just be yourself. Be authentic and, and be liked to just work out if people like you. The final part of sales is managing, and that's a spreadsheet. That's somebody quite systematic saying, have you done enough sales calls? Are we progressing the sale? Um, so you're always pushing things along. They're not getting stuck. And there's a time to put the hunter back in. There's time to uh, chivvy out or let, let the hunter go back. So you should have the three things, hunting, farming, and managing. And they mm. mirror the three character types we talk about in the book. Magnet, that's the hunter. Maker, that's the farmer. And monitor, that's the manager. So everything's in threes. That's quite interesting, number three. So... Yeah. Just think about that. And most issues, if something's gone wrong, looking back, it was people issues. So that's why having good human resources is good, understanding people, giving them respect, treating your customer like you treat yourself, all of those things. So getting if you get the people stuff right, if you have good blended teams, everybody pointing in the right direction, then you're going to succeed. Well, I think that's a, a great place to end, Mike. You know, 
talking about talking about people, talking about team, talking about skills and, and, and delegating responsibility and 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 taking that kind of holistic approach where you know everyone in the business is pulling in the same direction. So yeah, thanks thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Mike, and, and sharing your uh, infinite wisdom with us. Some of my wisdom, sorry, my infinite wisdom, but no, it's been really good fun. And I hope uh, wish every success to everybody listening. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Mike. Well, there you go. Mike Southern there talking about all the key building blocks of making a great business and everything you need to consider to increase customers, uh, sales and all the other ingredients of success. Uh, It was really interesting to hear Mike talk about his experience of what has and hasn't worked in the startups he's worked alongside uh, and also some of the key themes from his book, The BMAT Entrepreneur. One thing that kept coming up was the importance of team and having the right people around you, you know, each with their own set of responsibilities and skill sets, because even the best entrepreneur in the world can't do everything on their own. Mike also talked about intrapreneurship, which is about fostering entrepreneurialism within a large company to make sure that you don't stifle innovation and creativity. I thought that was a really interesting topic. And then that kind of fork in the road that companies get to around 25 employees where you have to either choose between maintaining the company at your current size or expanding the company and obviously all that entails, bringing in more people, um, implementing more processes, accessing investment and finance. And then if you're the founder of that business, being able to step back and actually give up some control to the people who you're bringing in. Uh, On sales, which of course Mike is a leading authority on, there were tons of great tips, so I just want to leave you with some of those before I let you go. The first tip was about the importance of building relationships in sales. I don't think this can be overstated enough. Mike said that selling was so much easier if the customer likes you, so work out if they do, and if they don't, don't take it personally. Just move on to the next prospect. The second tip was about being a problem solver in sales and how if you can prove you have solved your customers' problems, they'll be more likely to buy from you. Mike said you have to listen to your customers' needs if you're going to be good at this. So obviously don't forget to listen in your conversations with sales leads and prospects. The final tip was more about how we think about sales. Mike said there were two types of salespeople, hunters and farmers. Uh, The hunters go out and get the new customers while the farmers look after the existing ones. So if you have those people in your business, make sure they're being deployed in the best possible way and take a kind of team approach to account management and customer retention. Of course, if you'd like to learn more about Mike's approach to sales, you can get a copy of one of his books or connect with him on social media. Uh, You can find him at Mike Southern. You can also head over to the UMI platform uh, and the running a business tab where we've got loads of useful articles that will help you on your way. Well, that's all from me. So thanks to Mike for coming on the podcast uh, and sharing his insights and thanks so much for listening.